Welcome in the name of the Lord. This is David Olford. The expository biblical message you're about to hear was delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen Olford. This message is made available to you by the Stephen Olford Ministry Legacy, LLC. We trust that this message from the Word of God will be a blessing to you. Now here is my father, Dr. Stephen Olford. Let us bow together in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Turn with me again, if you will, please, to Luke chapter 1, the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 1. Our theme this morning, the Annunciation. The Annunciation of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ confronts us with mysteries so holy and profound that we do well to abstain from any speculations which are unprofitable and unseemly. At the same time, to the reverent and devout believer, the narrative presents the essential message and miracle and ministry of Christmas. Indeed, what we find in these verses that were read to us a little earlier is the very genius of Christianity. From this point onwards, the New Testament is but an amplification, a development of that which we find in norm in this beautiful and sacred passage. The rest of the New Testament is the gospel which finds its start in the Annunciation. And so I'm going to invite you this morning to address yourself with me to three very precious considerations. First of all, what we're going to call the message of Christmas. We find it right here, the message of Christmas. Look at those words of the angel Gabriel to Mary in 28 and 30. And the angel came in unto Mary and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. Now, there are two expressions in these verses which sum up what is the essential Christmas message and, indeed, the essential gospel message. The two phrases are the grace of God and the peace of God. Look at the first, the grace of God. Mary, thou art highly favored. Literally, the original reads there, Mary, thou art much graced. Mary, thou art much graced. It's exactly the same verb form we find in Ephesians 1, 6, where Paul tells us that we have been accepted, favored, graced in the beloved one. The word resembles the Greek greeting that was used constantly. Grace be upon you. Paul uses it almost in all of his epistles. And he links it with the next word we're going to consider in a moment. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. But it's more than a greeting. It's the very ground of all God's dealings with us. Indeed, grace is the unmerited favor of God which justifies us, sanctifies us, and ultimately glorifies us. This was the word that came from God through Gabriel to Mary at the Annunciation. Thou art graced, much graced, by God. When John describes the mystery of the Holy Incarnation in his magnificent prologue to his Gospel John, he says, you remember, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he adds, and of his fullness have we received and grace upon grace. In his letter to Titus, 
that matchless apostle Paul tells us that the grace of God hath appeared to all men, ringing salvation. This is the very essence of the message of Christmas, the grace of God. The grace of God hath appeared. And Gabriel said unto Mary, Mary, thou art much graced. The grace of God hath appeared to thee. Grace is God's goodness and severity converging. Grace is justice and mercy uniting. Grace is love and power redeeming. Grace, grace, unbounded grace. Without this grace, there is no pardon for the past. There is no power for the present. There is no prospect for the future. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, man finds salvation and hope. This is the grace that came at Christmas time. So it is the grace of God that chose Mary to be the instrument of bringing Christ to a sin-stricken world. And it's likewise the grace of God that makes you and me the channels through whom Christ can live and flow and bless others. And if that life of yours is to be a Bethlehem in whom Christ is born and through whom Christ flows and blesses others, then it's of grace and grace alone. The grace of God. This then is the message of Christmas. The grace of God. But look at the second phrase. Not only the grace of God, but the peace of God. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. The absence of fear, of course, is peace. This, once again, is the essential message of Christmas and the Christian gospel. Peace is the Hebrew greeting. But once again, it means much more than just a superficial greeting. There's something deeper in this concept of peace. In the New Testament, it has to do with the initial peace with God, which comes to men and women once they have been forgiven and know the forgiveness and favor of Almighty God. It refers to the peace of God, which reigns and sways in the heart of a yielded Christian. It has an eschatological significance, for it looks on to the day when he who is the Prince of Peace will come to sway the scepter of universal empire and reign whose right it is to reign. All that and more is wrapped up in this concept of peace. This is the message which the angels brought, you remember, when they said, We bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then the angel chorus brought in the refrain, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So in this annunciation we find a synthesis of the Greek and Hebrew greetings. But more than that, we have the total message of the Christian gospel. You say the total message? Yes, because grace initiates every blessing that God vouchsafes to man and includes every blessing in between. Peace consummates every blessing that God vouchsafes to man through God's saving grace and God's settling peace. Men and women are brought into a union with Christ so that the apostle can say, all one in Christ Jesus. The picture of heaven, all one in Christ Jesus. How? Through God's saving grace, God's settling peace. The grace of God, the peace of God. Wrapped up in that annunciation, the annunciation of Gabriel to Mary. Much grace, fear not, thou hast found 
favor with God. How wonderful to know that that's the message for this morning. To you listening, friend over radio, to you in the sanctuary here this morning, the message of Christmas comes, thou art much favored, much graced, fear not. The grace of God, the peace of God have come. They're wrapped up in the infant Christ, who's to be the Savior of the world. Grace and peace, the message of Christmas. But look again at our text. We have here not only the message of Christmas, but the miracle of Christmas. Verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. The miracle of Christmas is the mystery of the Holy Incarnation, and this is such sacred ground that we do well to walk reverently and with godly fear as we approach this precious subject. But as we think of the miracle of Christmas, notice first what I'm calling the announcement of this miraculous birth. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, verse 35. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee or wrap thee around. That Mary was a virgin is indisputably clear from the declarations of the word of God. Moreover, she was espoused to Joseph, a holy and a just man, so that in every sense of the word she was a fit vessel for God's holy purpose. So the announcement came, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. The expression of Gabriel, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, takes us right back to the beginning of the Bible. The very first two verses of the Bible, where the writer describes how creation came into being, how the dawn of light broke upon a dark, otherwise matterless universe. Yes, the words, the Spirit of God moved or brooded upon the face of the deep. That matterless expanse, whatever you might describe it as being, suddenly came into light and order by the moving of the Holy Ghost. Same thought, the power of the highest shall wrap thee round. The power of the highest shall come upon thee. In the language of Bishop Pearson, the word was conceived in the womb of a woman, not after the manner of men, but by the single, powerful, invisible, immediate operation of the Holy Ghost, whereby a virgin was beyond the law of nature, enabled to conceive, and that which was conceived in her was originally and completely sanctified. The miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, though we know the incarnation was a unique act of God in bringing to birth the Savior who was to be your Savior and mine, let us never forget that this announcement, this annunciation, was but a prophecy of what would happen in the hearts of men and women down through the centuries who would repent and believe the gospel. John tells us that as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God, without the interference of man at all, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, a direct act of God in reproducing Christ in us as he did in the womb of Mary. And people who deny the virgin birth must deny the spiritual birth in the human personality. For they're both an act of God without any interference of man. What happened in Mary's womb to bring Christ literally and physically to the world is what happens in our personalities to bring Christ through spiritually. 
to a last world that needs just a glimpse of him, the light of his glory and power through our personalities. And speaking to a very religious man, Jesus said the same words, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. But with the announcement of this miraculous birth, there is also the fulfillment of this miraculous birth. Look at verses 37 and 38. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. As wonderful as was the announcement of the miraculous birth, nothing could have ever happened had there not been, listen carefully, the submission of Mary's love. Yes, the submission of love. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. God never effects this miracle in anyone's life without that willingness. God never breaks through into any person's life without permission. This is the nature of his sovereignty. God is too great and too mighty to take the creature that he has made with a will to decide and force that will against the human personality and violate the individuality and personality of the very being he has made. Mary looked up to that angel and said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Literally, I bow as a slave to the sovereignty of my God. The submission of love. Like any other girl, Mary knew that you'd have to endure much misunderstanding, shame, and suffering. But in submission, she cried, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. She knew that you'd be the talking point of the town. She knew that what was to be prophesied later would be true of her. A sword should pierce her heart. But in utter submission, she said, I still want to be the channel through whom this miracle will happen. With that submission of love, we notice a decision of faith. Be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. John Calvin maintains that the greatest miracle in the New Testament is the story of the penitent thief who, hanging upon that cross, looked to his side and saw not a dying malefactor, but the king of kings. And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. But I claim that Mary exercised an equal measure of faith when she declared, be it unto me according to thy word. In that moment, ladies and gentlemen, a miracle greater than the creation of the world took place. For the Son of God was conceived in the womb of a woman. And Mary saw clean through to that mighty miracle. And she said, be it unto me according to thy word. And it happened. And it never happened before. It would never happen again in that unique sense. With that submission of love and decision of faith, there was a glorious confession of hope. For Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And in the words of the Magnificat, we have the greatest expression of personal and eschatological hope to be found anywhere in the Word of God. Spend your Christmas time reading through that Magnificat. If you know the words, sing it through. And notice the boundless reaches to which Mary moves in hope and expectation. The submission of love the decision of faith, the expectation of hope, the fulfillment of this miraculous birth. My friends, the conditions for Christ to be born in your heart and mine are no different to those that characterized the attitude of Mary. 
If Christ is to be born in us, there must be the submission of love, the decision of faith, the confession of hope. In the words of Philip Brooks, we must say, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today, the miracle of Christmas. The message, the grace of God, the peace of God, and there is no other aspect of the gospel that's not included in norm right there. The miracle of Christmas, the new birth, Christ born in us, which the New Testament takes and amplifies in numberless ways. But finally, notice with me what we're calling the ministry of Christmas. Why the message? Why the miracle? Why? Because there is a ministry of Christmas. And the angel said unto Mary, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. The message and miracle of Christmas are fundamental to all I've had to say here this morning. In fact, a prelude to the ministry of Christmas. Without the message and miracle, there can be no ministry. But having said that, Mary knew, and so do we, that there was an ultimate purpose for all this, a goal already prepared before the foundation of the earth. God's purpose in bringing about the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem and in our lives leads to a twofold ministry. With these two thoughts, we conclude this morning. Look at them with me, please. First of all, what I'm going to call the exalting of the name of Jesus. The exalting of the name of Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. While this is ultimately a reference to the millennial reign of the Savior, when he shall reign from shore to shore, it also has a present and personal application. God longs that the name of his beloved son Jesus should be exalted by the testimony of life and lip. Paul sensed this responsibility when he wrote to his beloved church at Philippi and said, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But all that matters is that this body of mine and this life of mine should be a theater on which Christ is demonstrated and magnified a glass through which he's seen largely, a life through which he flows, Christ magnified in me, the exalting of the name of Jesus. One day God is going to exalt that name which belongs to Jesus above every name that is named in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. But until that moment comes when people who have rebelled hitherto and demons and the devil himself acknowledge him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He calls people yet like you and me to experience not only a Christmas in our lives in terms of message and miracle, but Christmas in terms of the ministry to exalt the name of Jesus. It is our privilege yesterday, this morning, to commend our Savior that people will voluntarily and readily accept him as Savior and Lord. We have no other ministry here on earth, no other ministry than that of exalting the name of Jesus. And I care not what your sphere of service may be, what your particular emphasis in terms of vocation happens to be. It's only a means to an end to exalt the name of Jesus. But finally notice, not only the exalting of the name of Jesus, but the extending of the reign of Jesus and the fame of Jesus. 
He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Once again, this has an eschatological significance, which one day will be gloriously fulfilled and realized. But in the meantime, there are devotional overtones that affect you and me. Look at this. You and I represent the house of Jacob. Like Jacob of old, we represent that which is crooked and selfish and fleshly. For that's the meaning of the very name Jacob, the supplanter. Jacob forever represents the self-life. But you'll remember that there came a moment in Jacob's life when he was smashed under the power of God. The sinew of his confidence in the flesh shrank under the very touch of God. And the fighting man became the clinging man. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. The old was replaced by the new. Instead of Jacob reigning, it was Jehovah reigning. The same miracle can happen in you and me when Christ is not only born in us, but formed in us. That miracle can happen in you and me this morning as we yield to his sovereignty in our life. For he came, remember, not only as Jesus, he came not only as Christ, but he came as Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the claim of Christmas is the claim of a sovereign Christ in our lives. Not only to sit upon the throne of David, but to rule and reign in the house of Jacob. And devotionally and personally apply that means not only reigning upon the throne of my heart, but mastering that Jacob life, that Jacob character, that Jacob nature, until Christ comes through. No longer Jacob, but Israel. His fame and reign extended through all I say and do. God's supreme purpose in having regenerated us is that we might be more and more conformed to his image. Here then is the ministry of Christmas. The name of Jesus exalted, the fame of Jesus extended. Right over our house of Jacob and everything that we represent as Jacob until Israel is seen, Jehovah is seen, Christ is seen and felt because his reign extends to every area of our personality. What a precious teaching is comprehended in the Annunciation. We have seen that in the words of the angel is the message of Christmas, the miracle of Christmas, the ministry of Christmas. Our responsibility is not only to celebrate Christmas, beloved, but to communicate Christmas. We cannot do this until we know in personal experience the message of the grace of God, the peace of God, the miracle of the birth of Christ in us, then the ministry of Christ exalted and extended over the house of Jacob to the uttermost part of the earth. This is the Annunciation to your heart and mine. Let us pray. If seriously and honestly you not only received the message, you opened your heart and life to the miracle, but became an instrument for a ministry of exalting his name and extending his fame. For many of you, Christ has already been born in your heart, but tell me, is he on the throne? Is he on the throne? And is he reigning over the house of Jacob? Has he mastered that old nature? Is he conqueror and lord? And is he extending his influence through that life of yours, even unto the uttermost part of the earth? Make Christmas, then, a crowning experience of owning Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. Lord, seal this word home to every heart and make this the most memorable Christmas because Jesus Christ reigns and rules over everything. We ask it for thy dear name's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, 
who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.